everyone. I am your host, Alejandro Colindres. Welcome to Series 1 of the podcast, The Road to Champagne, 13 Tested Principles to Drive Your Career to Success. This podcast series will benefit professionals that have room for growth in their career, especially young professionals. We will explore one principle at a time. You can see the framework in the website, roadtochampagne.com. It has three parts, shape your mindset, build your brand, and be the driver. Today, we continue part two on how to build your brand. We'll explore principle number eight, build expertise. Now that you know yourself better, including your values, you are better positioned to build upon your established or newly discovered strengths and build solid expertise. Why? Because you want to be known for at least one thing that you do much better than others. Let's call that expertise a main spike, because if you were to graph it relative to others, you would score much higher. I propose you need one or two main spikes or areas where you need to excel to have credible expertise. That main spike or two differentiates you in your field. You should have one or two, maybe three if you're incredible, because building and maintaining such spike takes a lot of effort. For me, my main spike is problem solving. Using a structured approach, I can solve most complex business problems, either strategic choices or business performance improvement. I built that main spike through training and practice in top consulting firms like McKinsey and then teaching it in other companies. Besides a main spike or two, you must have several secondary spikes. These are other abilities where you don't score as high as your main spike, but you are still pretty solid at them. They help you be well-rounded. Without them, you are not an ideal candidate in your field despite your magnificent main spike. For example, for me, these include leadership, project management, process improvement, communications, and others. These help me be a problem solver or strategist that brings a nice package of beneficial features because the alternative is being a great problem solver that no one wants around. My advice to you is this, understand the 10 key skills in your field and decide where you should invest time and effort making some of them your core and secondary spikes. Be strategic. Of course, building them will take time and effort and also maintaining them sharp. If you do this well, you will start creating a name for yourself in your field. In other words, you will be creating your professional brand. We will discuss this in the next episode, but expertise is an essential part of your brand. To help me dive into this topic, I am very excited to be joined by Eric Hemer. Eric is the Senior Vice President of Wine Education at Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits. I admire Eric for several reasons. Number one, he has a really cool job dealing with one of my favorite topics, wine. He gets paid to travel to wineries all over the world, something I pay to do. And number two, he is one of four people in the entire world that have achieved both Master Sommelier and Master of Wine degrees. You see, either one is really incredible, but two, that is wild. He is a real example of what deep expertise looks like. So I am excited he is here with us today. Eric, welcome to the Road to Champagne podcast. What a pleasure to have you here today. How are you? I'm fine, Alejandro. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here with you. Excellent. Excited you're here. Eric, in my upcoming book, I mentioned how you started your career as a waiter assistant in a steakhouse in West Palm Beach. Can you take us back there and explain how you grew in the wine industry? Why, certainly, Alejandro. Yeah, I, I started at the Rain Dancer Steakhouse way back in 1983, long, long ago. Yeah. <laughs> Probably before you were born. <laughs> oh, I was born. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> you're close. You're, you're just a young lad at the time. <laughs> anyway, I uh, really liked uh, working there. And 
I became interested in wine all of a sudden after attending one of the weekly tastings that our manager held every Saturday morning. And it was early. I think it was nine o'clock in the morning. And a lot of the servers were less than enthusiastic about being back in the place that they had just left a few hours ago. I but bet. for me, it, for me, it just opened up a whole new world of possibilities. And I started making tasting notes on the wine each week that we would taste. And I started reading different books and magazines on wine. Uh, anything I can get my hands on to really find out more about my newfound passion. This led to uh, eventually becoming friendly with the district manager who called upon the rain dancer, who happened to work for a company called Southern Wine and Spirits. And I started to get interested in pursuing a career in wine. And uh, so this began a two-year pursuit. I was very persistent they didn't have any job openings, but I just stayed after it. And eventually, two years later, in 1988, I was hired by Southern Wine and Spirits as a on-premise uh, wine consultant covering a very large territory. Yeah, My career at Southern began uh, that way, calling on restaurants and a few fine wine shops uh, at the street level. And from there, I, I went into management a few years after that and slowly worked my way up the ladder and eventually became the general sales manager for Southern in South Florida. And uh, after that, general manager for American Wine and Spirits, which was our fine wine division. And then uh, after mm. that, I went into wine education, which is what I do today, but on a much larger scale. Excellent. And Eric, one of the things that I find fascinating is the attitude that you had towards being on a Saturday morning at 9 a.m., you know, doing some wine uh, tasting while the rest of your peers were not embracing the opportunity, you were excitedly embracing it and you took it positively and you learned from it and it opened a new door, right? And it could have opened the door for the other people that were there with you, but because of their attitude, I'm sure it did not, right? Yes, I was uh, somewhat surprised that I was one of the few people that was truly enthusiastic about it. Initially, you know, I thought, wow, this is a great way to make more money. If I learn more about wine, I can sell more wine mm -hmm. and therefore make more money and income. But it quickly opened up a whole new world for me. Uh, I've always been a history buff. Mm -hmm. And of course, one of the key things about wine is the history of wine. And that was yeah. one of the things that really drew me in. That and the, the vast diversity, you know, I was amazed at how many different grape varieties there were, how many different regions. Uh, and this is really basically just Europe that we were intensely studying at the time, but it was fascinating yeah. to me just how, how complex and diverse the, the world of wine really uh, was and is. I think that passion really helped move me on my path uh, towards what I do today. Excellent. So if we fast forward, you now have a management position in, in Southern Wine and Spirits. You're in the world of wines. How did this journey to obtain the two masters uh, start? And tell us a little more about that. Yeah. So I, I started in education with Southern uh, about 20 odd years ago and was in charge of one education for the state of Florida. And at about the same time, uh, the ownership of the company mentioned to me that they thought it would be really great if I could get some high level certification. And one of the programs that was just becoming popular at the time was with the Court of Master Sommeliers and the Master Sommelier uh, title. And so inspired by my, you know, the leaders of the company, I embarked on this journey mm -hmm. This was back in 1998, and by 2003, I had achieved my goal and become a master sommelier after passing the introductory level and the advanced level, and then ultimately the MS title came my way in 2003. Yes. And a funny story is that uh, I was talking to the president of our wine division, Mr. Mel Dick, and uh, 
I let him know, hey, Mel, I just want to let you know I, I passed that master sommelier program. Just want to let you know that uh, I accomplished what you asked me to, to do. And he goes, did I say master sommelier? And I said, yes, Mel. <laughs> oh, no. And he said, oh, I meant master of wine. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> he said, do you think you can go for that now? <laughs> oh, my gosh. And this was after five years of literally blood, sweat, and tears. Not only you know going down this grueling path of trying to pass one of the most difficult one exams in the world, yeah. but also you know working full time with a young family. That is crazy. <laughs> uh, but I I just uh, reset my sights on an, another new goal and grit my teeth and set off down the road towards Master of Wine. And it was it was a much longer journey. <laughs> Let's put it that way. That is awesome. So, Eric, for those listeners who don't really understand the complexity of of those two tests. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what goes into those tests that makes it, you know, so difficult to prepare for and then to pass and why, you know, so many people try multiple times and, and they don't even succeed? Sure. They're two very different programs, even both contain uh, the words master and they are masters, but they're different disciplines. Uh, master sommelier was designed by and for uh, the on-premise business, the restaurant business. And it basically consists of uh, multiple levels. Today, there's four steps, introductory, certified sommelier, advanced sommelier, and ultimately master sommelier. And the examination itself consists of three parts. Uh, there is the blind tasting exam, which is uh, one of the more difficult aspects for many people. Uh, you have 25 minutes to cor correctly identify six wines in a double blind setting. That is, you have no idea what the wines are. There's three white wines and three red wines, and you just have to mm -hmm. go through each one verbally in great detail and identify the wine right down to the variety or varieties it's made from, the region of origin, and the vintage, which is very, very challenging, especially in the tense, uh, you know, timed setting that you're under. Yeah. The other two parts, one is a theoretical exam, which again is verbal. You walk into a room, you sit down, and master sommeliers ask you questions for 40 minutes or so. And then the, mm -hmm. the third part of that, which to me was one of the most challenging is the service examination where you walk into a, uh, a faux dining room and perform all the various functions that a sommelier would be expected to, to perform, food and wine recommendations, answering uh, deep arcane trivia questions, if you will. <laughs> so that's, yeah. that's what that is. It's all about the on-premise business. Master of Wine is entirely different. Master of Wine is older and highly, highly revered, especially in the UK uh, wine industry. Probably the most difficult wine exam in the world. They're both very hard, but hmm. different, different disciplines come into play here. And the Master of Wine program is all written essays. And it covers mm -hmm. the entire world of wine, whereas the MS program really focuses on the higher end of the wine industry and, of course, incorporates spirits. Master yeah. of Wine is entirely focused on wine, but all wine from the most basic wine to the greatest wines produced anywhere in the world. And it mm. covers all the steps, you know, that you would expect starting literally from the ground up. We talk about viticulture, vinification or enology, all the post-fermentation things that you have to deal with in terms of maturation and quality assurance and quality and control and shipping, all those things. And then we talk about the business of wine, which incorporates marketing and PR and all the legal aspects of the international yeah. wine trade. And all of this is done in uh, one hour or slightly more than one hour written essays. And that's the theory side of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so wow. it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a vast body of knowledge to get your arms around. And, yeah. and then this, the same thing ex exists on the tasting side. By the way, this whole exam is a four-day 
examination, uh, four days mm -hmm. for theory, and then three of those days also uh, for the practical assessment. And each practical paper is 12 lines. And again, it's done in a blind tasting uh, scenario, but they give you clues like uh, these four wines are all from the same country, region of origin, a great variety. Uh, mm, okay. Please, please discuss, you know, the differences in quality and winemaking technique and all of these different things. So okay. very, very, very uh, detailed uh, and very, very deep level of knowledge. Um, so both extremely yeah. challenging programs, but very different from one another. Excellent. Thanks for clarifying that. Sure. So obviously your main spike is understanding the vast world of wines. What would you say are your secondary spikes and how do they help you succeed in your role? Okay. Well, first, it's the ability to distill down the vast world of wines to the information that is most relevant to what I do, which is to teach our sales personnel mm -hmm. about wine. So it, it, there's so much out there that it can be overwhelming to the average person. So uh, getting people to learn and understand is uh, best achieved by being able to make the information digestible yeah. uh, for, for your audience. So I think I have a, a good uh, ability to distill it all down to what's the most important things that you need to know. Uh, and uh, including also, and in that is uh, formulating effective teaching methods uh, to help them learn and understand the material. You know, in our fast paced mm -hmm. business, you know, you only have X amount of time to capture and hold the attention of your audience. And so we have to use teaching methods that uh, are the most effective at doing that. So uh, we're utilizing all the technology available to us uh, to uh, get that material out in an understandable fashion. Also, I, I have to say that what I do would be impossible covering such a vast territory that we cover literally most of North America, including Canada. Uh, I couldn't do this without my team of dedicated wine educators uh, that work for me, who are based in our largest markets around the country, including New York and Florida, California, Illinois. Uh, and of course, their dedication and expertise are paramount to my personal success. Yes, for sure. Eric, and approximately how many people have you trained? Oh, the number is well into the thousands. I have no idea exactly how many because not only have I been doing this for Southern personnel since 1998, but I also am very active in the Court of Master Sommeliers mm -hmm. and Society of Wine Educators, uh, Wine and Spirits Education Trust, and the Institute of Masters of Wine. And I, I lecture, teach, and mentor uh, students uh, at all these different wine organizations. So I yes. wouldn't, I'd say the number has to be close to 10,000 at this point, maybe more. <laughs> That's huge. So what would you advise our young professional audience in all fields and professions out there about the importance of building expertise and differentiating from the pack? Well, I think it, it really comes down to regardless of what you do, what particular profession or career you're, you're building, uh, building your own personal expertise gives you a leg up on your competitors. Uh, I just can't overemphasize how important learning is to success. Uh, as a, yeah. For myself, as a young wine sales professional, my knowledge of wine right off the bat gave me a huge competitive advantage uh, and allowed me to quickly succeed in, in, my, in my chosen industry. But this holds true, yeah. I think, for any profession. Just getting, getting that expertise, learning, uh, really gives you the, the edge over your competition. For sure. Eric, and I mentioned earlier that maintaining a spike requires effort. You can't build it and then relax because it will erode as information evolves, the world around you continues to uh, change, and peers become better. How do you stay relevant in your field despite the fact that you're already a wine guru? 
<laughs> a wine guru, huh? <laughs> yeah, for sure. You cannot debate that. <laughs> That's a fact. Right. You say so. Even wine gurus need to keep up to date with what's new in the world of wine. And like many other areas of expertise, Alejandro, the wine industry changes daily. And these days, it changes at light speed. It's amazing. So yeah. to keep up to date, you know, I subscribe to many different online wine news feeds. So every morning, I start my day reading the daily news on what's new. Uh, I read magazines like Decanter, The Drinks Business, Wine Business Monthly, and, and many more. And also, as I mentioned previously, I'm very much involved as a mentor, a lecturer, and examiner with the various uh, wine professional organizations that I belong to. Yeah. And I found that one of the keys to keeping up to speed is working with students who are currently building their wine expertise. So this helps me keep my knowledge up to date as well. Excellent. That's many activities helping you stay relevant and up to date. How many hours a week would you estimate, Eric, that you dedicate to you know, these efforts that help you stay fresh? Oh, I would say probably 10 to 15 hours a week is a good number. Got it. And that's a great example of uh, the effort involved because, you know, for each of the 13 principles that we're exploring in this podcast series, one of the key messages is that effort is involved, not only in creating this expertise, but also in maintaining it, right? So even if you're spending one or two hours, it's a significant commitment, but that's what you need to do to stay a guru if you already are one or, you know, to become one. So thanks for sharing that, Eric. Sure. My, my pleasure, Alejandro. In the last two podcasts, we explored the importance of knowing oneself, including one's values. This way, one can make better choices on where to build expertise. What personal strengths or values enabled you to complete your master's degrees and which are enabling you to succeed in your current role in wine education? Well, I'd have to say that there's really three, three words that I would repeat to myself as my mantras over and over as I was working my way through the programs. And I, I would print up little affirmation things and uh, tape them to the wall. So every time I'd sit down at my desk, I'd read the affirmation and hmm. sort of to re refocus, recalibrate, if you will, every day, keeping myself on track. So there was three words that I used, patience, perseverance, and determination. Yeah, Becoming both a master sommelier and then a master of wine took a long time, 15 years uh, on this road. And of course, it was a part-time road sometimes because, again, I had a full-time job and many, many responsibilities at home and at work. Yeah, And so it really took the patience to persevere and stay the course. Neither were easy programs to get through. Mm -hmm. People will tell you that they failed more than they finally succeeded. Uh, so staying the course through occasional failure and gradual success took patience and perseverance yeah. to stay on track. And then determination was my real secret weapon. I was absolutely determined. Failure was never an option. I was going to succeed no matter what and how long it took to do so. Excellent. And I use these strengths today to be successful at what I do. Excellent. And, and I, I totally understand all of those that you mentioned, because when you are facing such a difficult challenge, you know, those are the typical drivers that get you through it, right? The patience, the determination, the focus. So it, it's great that you uh, mentioned those because those can apply to people in, in every field. Eric, since there is no guest that I could possibly bring here that knows more about champagne, let me ask you this. What do you associate champagne with? Mm. Well, let's see. I associate champagne with many things, uh, but among others, uh, it brings to mind fine dining, uh, celebratory occasions, romance, of course, success, and history. There's a lot of history tied up in the region 
of champagne and the sure. drink itself. Uh, one uh, example of that is Prime Minister Winston Churchill, uh, who had his finest hour guiding the people of Great Britain through their darkest hours during World War II, was a champagne mm-hmm. lover. Uh, and his favorite champagne was Paul Roger. Uh, in fact, Champagne Paul Roger named their prestige Cuvée Champagne, Cuvée Sir Winston, in his honor. Oh, nice. <laughs> and one of my favorite quotes from anybody is Churchill regarding champagne. And he famously stated, in victory, I deserve it. In defeat, I need it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that on my wall. I love it. Excellent. So, Eric, where does champagne rank in your list of favorite wines? Mm. Why don't you ask me which of my children I love the most? While you're at it, uh, I love all my children equally. Some days it's at the top of my list, others not at the top of my list. <laughs> yes. it, uh, it's always my favorite go-to bubbly. <clears throat> and if I can drink champagne every day, well, that's a good day. For sure, for sure. That's a good answer. I mean, I, I'm the same. I love champagne, but you know, sometimes a bold red wine or sometimes a, a light white wine, depending on the occasion, right? And, and what's happening, what you're eating, what's the, what's the climate like, et cetera. There's many factors. Yes, but that's right. Yeah, they say, they say that variety is the spice of life. And I think that's true. And don't while you're at it, don't forget fortified wine and dessert wine. I think often people overlook the, the, uh, the pleasures of a nice glass of fino sherry, a manzanilla with tapas or a nice uh, glass of uh, late bottled vintage port after dinner with some chocolates. Uh, oh, yes. Wines, yeah. Yes, I've been enjoying some vintage sports lately. Oh, great. So, Eric, to make this a two-way conversation, I'll let you ask me a question. Okay. How about this one? At what point in your career, Alejandro, did you realize that you had the robust level of expertise that you were trying to build? Yes, I would say, Eric, for the majority of my career, and maybe even up until now, you know, I've considered myself a business generalist. Right. I, I can understand multiple functions and I've done projects and I've even worked in, in different functions. But, you know, this new focus of strategy and problem solving, I would say I started feeling like it was there and robust maybe only about six, seven years ago. Hmm. The way I built it was, you know, through management consulting. But I did not really start feeling super confident about it until I started teaching it which was in Restaurant Brands International. And I think once you start teaching other people about a topic, you have to force yourself to really become good at it. So I had the experience, you know, I had used all those methodologies, but I wasn't really as sharp to teach others and coach others on how to use them until that stage. And I think that is where that uh, spike became bigger and sharper. That's great. Eric, so each of our audience members is on their journey to success, trying to get to their champagne, that professional stage we desire and work towards. What is the main thing you want our audience to remember when they think about why they should build expertise? Well, I think that the main thing is the the end goal, right? That pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So always keep your eye on the prize. Think about the end goal. Imagine yourself achieving your goal. And if you always keep that in sight and remind yourself every morning while you're doing what you're doing, uh, this is really key to success. It helps keep you on course for success. So remember my three-word mantra of patience, perseverance, and determination. You're going to succeed no matter what. Excellent advice. Eric Hemer, thank you so much for joining me today in exploring this powerful principle. Well, you're quite welcome, Alejandro. It was my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And remember, everybody, you can and must take action to start unlocking the power of this principle in your life. 
It is a critical component of helping you define in which direction to grow and in helping you get there. Ensure you are building the right expertise to open the doors you want to open. Be strategic about which spikes you will invest time and effort into building. It will take time and effort and years of practice, but it will pay off. Your expertise will become a key differentiating factor that builds your professional brand. Let's meet again in episode nine, Define Your Brand. I have another awesome guest lined up for you. Thank you for joining me in this episode. I hope you are inspired by this principle. So cheers to your success on your road to champagne. Please don't forget to visit roadtochampagne.com and join our mailing list to download the framework we are using. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, colleagues, and classmates. Send your comments via the website's contact page and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Road to Champagne on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn.